issues in churches is what color the carpet's going to be. It caused enough grief with people. You know, over at New Covenant, one of the things that I learned when I got here was whether people liked the columns or whether they didn't. There were some that said, man, it needs to be a black wall. You know, some people said, you know, we can light it up with different lights. And then others were saying, no, that we have to have the Corinthian columns. This gives us a regal church. You know, it was really interesting. I was like, as a pastor, I'm like, is this a battle I need to work on? The issue here is when a conflict starts, when there is that occasional conflict where you're walking alongside and you stumble and you bump into somebody and then you're, you look at them like, why'd you do that? As if you planned it. Wait, the Bible says, forgive one another. You're in Christ. We're in the circle. He says, we're in the circle together. We're, we're going to spend eternity together. He says, get into this awareness of forgiving one another. And remember, the reason you should do this is because the only reason you're in the circle is because God, because of Christ, forgave you. Is there any sin that can't be forgiven? No. I did say yesterday, though, is you don't forgive with the same way Christ forgives because Christ actually forgave the sin by paying for it. I'm sure none of you paid for the other sins of others. You might have had a random act of kindness. Like I said, if you went to the toll booth and you paid for the somebody behind you, that might be really nice. But that's not forgiveness of their sin. What you're basically doing when you forgive them of their sin or when, when you are forgiving one another, you're letting it go and trusting that God will handle it. It is not dismissing it and making legal it. Or it's not like you in, in, uh, give people freedom to do bad stuff. But you're not going to be the one that sits in judgment. Remember how Jesus taught in Matthew 7? He said, pull the beam out of whose eye? Okay, if you would focus more on your own beam and get it out, then you're going to realize that you won't see the splinter in everybody else's because the humility that you have is like, God, thank you for forgiving me. And the people that are in sin and they have their splinters or they have their own beams, they ought, sometimes they may even come to you for help. Help me. How did you get delivered from this? A lot of times in churches in 2021, this is why a lot of young people don't want to come to church because they have scar tissue, because there's never healing from the wounds that people experience. Now, look at the next thing there. I, I, I told you there's three main points about the harmony. Is, is the first, as we said, it's adopting the same agenda, bearing with one another. Secondly, on the occasional conflicts, you need to forgive one another. But the big emphasis in this passage is not on forgiveness, which is hard for me to say because last week's was a really neat sermon. It's on this third thing, applying the balm of love. Hence, the L word is loving one another. Or to use the actual text in scripture, put on love, which holds the harmonic unity. Put on love. Now, having gotten those three main points, I want to take today the four subcategories under that last point. This put on love. What does love look like? I mean, we already have the beautiful clothes that God gave us. We're in Christ. Now the actions are, we are bearing with one another. We're forgiving one another occasionally because that sometimes happens. And we're loving one another, which is always happening. And the love of Christ does some cool things in us. And if you're following along, first thing you'll see is that the text says in verse 15 that Christ's love causes every one of us to submit to a new, to a new master. 
I didn't see this when I first studied it. Would you follow along with me if you're looking at verse 15? Uh, he says, above all these things, this is verse 14, put on love, which binds everything together in a perfect harmony. And this is where he explains his harmony in four, per, or he explains his loving harmony in four things. The first one in verse 15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called into one body and be thankful. Now in verse 15, there is a new master. What is that new master in your life? text is written, it's peace. Now, if you go back in the Old Testament or if you watch one of those videos on the life of Christ or the life of the, you know, the apostles, if you read the book of Acts or whatever, when people would come and see folks, how would they, what would they say when they met somebody? If you're a Christian and you saw one, would you say, hey, you would say, peace, peace be with you. Now, I know that sounds a little bit Catholic, but I wonder where you think the Catholics got it from. They get it from the Bible, and it's, it's really interesting. There is a peace of God or a peace of Christ. There is something that is different that the world doesn't have. And when you're in the circle of Christ, there is a new master, and that master is God's peace, his perfect peace. You can find about, about that peace in other places. In one of the other, in Philippians, one of the other uh, prison epistles, he ends up chapter four. He says, stop worrying, don't be anxious, chapter four, verse six. But in everything by prayer and supplication in communication with God, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace, the irene, that's what the Greek word is, will keep your hearts and your minds. In Colossians, he doesn't say it will keep you. It says it will rule. Okay, I struggled with this one as I pondered this one through. How does peace rule your heart? Well, what's the opposite of peace? Chaos? Let chaos rule your hearts. Isn't that the way that really brings about joy? The fruit of the spirit, love, joy. Oh, peace. You see, it's interesting that when the peace of Christ is ruling your hearts, you don't get to shuffle. You don't have to fall apart. You don't have to be anxious. You don't have to worry. You don't even have to worry about getting COVID. Do you ever think about that? The peace of God gives you a stability. It's not like riding a unicycle that you're always going to fall off. You're, you're on a tricycle. It's not going to tip over. Okay. You have this peace that rules your heart. And it's really fascinating as you understand that text. That's why I wanted to sink in for you. This way of harmony is that everybody in the circle of Christ has the same master, that God's peace. In other words, Jesus is the head. And as the head, he doesn't create lots of different masters. It is true that he is the head of the body and hence we're following him. But it's the peace agenda that he's got that calms us and that keeps us in line. So that's the first thing, is that peace of God should rule your heart. It's ruling all of us that are in Christ. And in, in verse 16, or verse 15, and let that peace of Christ rule in your hearts. He says, this is why you're stuck in that one body. Everybody's got the same thing ruling them now. You're not free just to have a Charlie horse, to be a Charlie horse in the body of Christ. Or is that, it hurts. You know, it's, you, you have peace. You fit right in because that's where you belong. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called into this body. And then he stops and he says, aren't you glad? Aren't you glad that peace can rule your heart now instead of fear and anxiety? 
Now, if you go to the next one, which is the next point here, since Christ satisfies our hearts, it solicits that thankfulness. And then B, Christ's love causes everyone to embrace the same call to what? If you look at verse 16, you're going to see it. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, again, with thanksgiving in your heart to God. Now, verse 16, I have to tell you, I study this one quite a bit too, and I don't know, but I don't think I came up with the right conclusion until I really wrestled with the text with the Lord about it. Have you? What is this talking about? I mean, a pastor would love this. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, you know, teaching and admonishing everyone. And then having people sing and make melody in their hearts, singing hymns and spiritual songs as well. I mean, it's really kind of beautiful, right? Let me ask you this question. Where do you hear the word of God being taught? Where do you hear the word of God admonishing people? Where do you hear people singing God's praise? Okay, if you start to connect the dot and whoever's doing that, thank you for that coaching. This is about worshiping together, that the love of Christ draws you to church. You don't have to come to this church. Nobody is paying you to come. In fact, you're probably paying to come. Some of you didn't pay last week. Offering was down. Okay, my whole point in this is that you love to come, and it's not because you love the guy standing up there preaching long sermons. It's because you love to meet with God. You want to hear his word proclaimed because you want the word of God to dwell inside of you richly. And to use the analogy from the Old Testament, you all know, uh, that, that it's kind of like Psalm 23, that my cup runneth over. When the word of God dwells in you richly, it's like your cup is full and running over. That the word of God comes out of you. It's almost like osmosis. It's just like eating too much kimchi. It's going to come out of your pores. I think it's kimchi. I know it happens in India if you eat too much curry. You start to smell the curry. Okay, what if the word of God is just coming out of you like that? You know, I want you to have that that a beauty, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Now at this time, they don't even have the New Testament written. So most of the words of Christ are what's orally being communicated by those who saw the resurrected Christ, which is the apostles, and even by those who had witnessed Jesus and understood these things. The Holy Spirit was giving them utterance, bringing to remembrance the things that God had taught them before he died. It's really cool. Let Christ's words dwell in you to the overflowing. And then what ends up happening? Those words are going to teach you the right path. Those words are going to admonish you, which are going to get you back on the right path. Because guess what? You're probably on the wrong path sometimes. Sometimes you're on the wrong path because you have conflicts with somebody else that you shouldn't be having conflicts with when you're bearing together with, with people in the Lord, in the service of the Lord. Let the word of Christ abound. This is so wonderful. It's the worship service. Don't forsake the gathering together, the saints here. Now, I was going to speed on along a little bit more. You're going to find that singing is there, and the harmony of singing kind of matches up with the, the thing. And so he talks about singing to yourselves. I could imagine if you took showers out of our existence, you know, if you go back 100 years when you didn't have water flowing from showers, there would be a lot less singing, wouldn't there? Because that's where most individuals do their singing, right? You don't have to confess. You can sing off tune or whatever, whatever. My point is this, is that the reason I believe this singing is a collective, I believe that this verse is talking about the worship service, is because that's where the word of God is proclaimed. That's where you're taught and where you're admonished, and it's with one another. And 
then you're singing with one another. You're making melody in your heart. It is a beautiful thing to honor the opportunity to meet with God and worship. So the love of Christ does some neat things. It gives you a new master of peace. It gives you this new passion to be able to worship, uh, the same call to worship. And then, and if you look at C, Christ's love infects, and the blank there is everything. Christ's love then affects everything you do and everyone else within the body of Christ, what they do too. If you look at that verse, and I'll quickly touch on it, he says uh, in verse 16, let that word of Christ, in other words, the worship service setting, uh, it's wonderful. And he says, be thankful in your heart for this. God's given you a place to be able to come together and worship. Then in verse 17, and whatever you end up doing, and then he says, it's by what you say and also by what you do. And, and, and I think it's implied by how you do it with passion. Hence, the, uh, uh, the, that's where partially we get our, call, our, uh, our mission statement. He says, and, and everything that you personally do, so you're standing in Christ, you're a part of the union of Christ, and everything you do, let me just try to unpack that. It's 90% of the things that you do, right? 10%, you're free to do what you want. Didn't your dad give you the counsel to sow your wild oats while you were young? Come on. I thought everybody got that speech from dad. You know, when you're young, you're going to do what you want to do for a little bit, just don't do it too bad. You might have got that speech, but that's not a good one. Because if you're in the body of Christ and you're a Christian, then you've already put on that beautiful clothing and the love of Christ changes things because it affects every single thing that you do. In fact, let me quote from 1 Corinthians 6 verses uh, uh, 31. I think you know this one. Join me if you know it. And whatsoever you do in, let's see. Yeah, that's what it is. And whatsoever you do in word or in deed, do all to the glory of God. Now, I, if I... I think I missed up a couple words. This is really bad. I got to go to it. First Corinthians six thirty one. Because we're there. This is this is when you get fifty four. And First uh, Corinthians ten thirty one. Is that my conscience over there telling me the correction? <laughs> but in First Corinthians chapter ten verse thirty one, you can see how he says everything matters. Uh, he wraps up the text. Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Do not give offense either to Jews or Greeks or, uh, or to the churchmen, just as I, I did. He says, just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own, but the profit of many that they may be saved. So the whole point there is that whatever you're going to do, let's just talk about um, today. It's Sunday, uh, March 2nd. What are you going to do the rest of the day? May 2nd. What are you going to do on May 2nd? I could have started off. What did you do on March 2nd? Okay. Did you do it all to the glory of God? Now, what about May 2nd? Are you doing everything to the, to the Lord's glory? Everything? Now, it's pretty cool. Eat and drink. Well, that would mean, well, at least before I have my meals, I have prayer. So at least I'm giving, it, giving God some glory on that. But what's the rest of the part? And whatever you do. Whether you're traveling, whether you're walking, whether you're exercising, whether you're going to the bathroom, whether you're shaving or whether you're making a phone call to somebody, whatever it is you're doing, the love of Christ changes what you're doing it for. Are you doing it to look good? Are you doing it to be able to have the praise of men? Are you doing it to be invisible or as somebody said, to go gray so nobody, nobody in the government notices you? 
what are you doing what you're doing for? And the love of Christ changes everything. And that's one of the things when you're in Christ and you're united to him, if you look at the rest of that verse, it says it really powerfully. Uh, and I have it right here in, in verse, he says, uh, and whatever you do, verse 17, do everything in the name of the Lord. Now, this is the idea of branding. You know, like if you have a cattle down south and you want to identify it as yours, you put that brand on it so that even if the cow wanders away or if somebody comes and steals it, you can identify it because the brand sticks. Do you know that everything you do is branded under the label Christian? Everything you do, everything you do. And so when the world looks and they say, oh, that must be Christian. That person stole from the shelf. Oh, that must be Christian. They just cut me off. Oh, that person, they, they, you know, if you're a server at a table, they asked me what I could pray for, and then they left me 10 cents. That must be Christian. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? Is that everything that we do is branded under the banner of Christ because we are in Christ. And so there's nothing, there's nothing, let me say it again, there's nothing that we do that is outside of that branding. that's why when I look back at that ugly list of the things that we were put off, you remember what you saw there about the, uh, the, the sexual immorality, the impurity, the passions, the evil desires, the covetousness? Are those Christian things? No. That's why they shouldn't be in the circle. They should be left outside because the branding is you are Christ's. You're a part of his church. You're in his body and you're banded together with those other sinners and you even forgive one another because you actually love one another. It's pretty interesting. I'll finish with this thought, this point four, is the love, Christ's love, affects every other Christian relationship. And this is what we're gonna pick up in the next few weeks. Can you name any relationships that you have? What about the most precious ones we start out with? Okay, I'm not trying to do the spiritual ones. I'm talking about any other human beings that you have a relationship with. Well, some of you might have that biological relationship with a mom. I think Mother's Day is next week. Bring her to church with you. If she's still here, do your best to worship her. It's a beautiful thing. You know, at least make sure we have a phone call, right? Uh, but, but there's what other relationship do you have? Well, you might have a dad. Some people don't even know their dads. Um, uh, then then you, you might have children. You might even have grandchildren, right? You might even have neighbors. Some of you have employers uh, that you answer to. Some people have employees that answer to you. The whole point here is that the rest of the text says, because of the love of Christ, it affects everything you do. It affects every relationship you have. And that's one of the reasons why Paul says in 1 Corinthians, don't get yoked with, together with an unbeliever. It's going to not be well for you. And it's really interesting, all these relationships, we're going to look into it. Postmodernism right now is part of the reason why I brought the book, Total Truth. Postmodernism tells you that those relationships... You can do without them. You don't need a mom. You don't even need a dad. I mean, when you go to Congress right now, you can't even say madam and mister. They're uh, doing away with the pronouns. They're doing away with all these things because they're saying these kind of relationships, it's all different now. The alternatives that they're pushing 
basically is get the Bible behind us. We're progressing to something. I want to challenge you that the only thing that they're progressing towards when they get rid of the scripture is they're moving forward on the broad way that leads to, help me out, to destruction, as Jesus said. Now, whole point is, and let's make an application, we may be in the circle and we're supposed to love one another, but what are we supposed to do with those who are outside of Christ? Throw stones at them? The interesting thing is, Jesus says, as you are living your life, you're supposed to make disciples, winsomely if possible. Do you understand this beautiful gospel of grace changed everything? Epaphras came to Paul in prison, and Paul wrote to them with his heart being heavy. You can read about it in chapter 1, verses 20-something and on. He says, my heart is heavy for you guys. Some of you I haven't even met yet, but I want you to know that in Christ, when you're united to him, Jesus, I do pray that you will help us to treasure this beautiful thing that we have, a union with Christ. Lord, that union with Christ is explained that when Jesus went to Calvary, we went with him there. Our sin was laid upon him, as it says in Isaiah 53, that we all we like sheep had gone astray. We had turned everyone to his own way, but the Lord laid on him, united with him, and he suffered and bruised. He was despised and rejected for our sin. In the book of uh, Colossians, Paul picks that up where he says, we have been raised with Christ. There is now that he's risen from the dead, we're risen with him and in this new glorious estate, he is the one that gives us a new master, his peace. Lord, I pray that we might dwell in that peace as we draw nearer to Christ. I pray that we may be so quick to respond to the Spirit's leading and to Christ's word as it dwells in us richly that we will be able to truly love one another. And as we've said in our church, that we'll be accurately communicate this gospel. In Jesus' name, I give thanks for this.